You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series, movie, or audio and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm John. And today we are looking at the 1960 George Powell extravaganza, The Time Machine, starring Rod Taylor. This is the um, basically the last of the George Powell films that we're going to be uh, looking at. I don't think we're going to do Doc Savage or <laughs> some of those other things that are Didn't not. Didn't you also do the Seven Faces of Dr. Lau? It might be that. Hmm. There is one other film. Somebody mentioned it to it in the comments. Um, but uh, yeah, but we're doing the time machine, and starring Scrooge McDuck. Um, <laughs> synopsis: It is January fifth, nineteen hundred, and four men arrive at the home of their friend George for dinner. But George is not there. Being busy industrialists on a Friday evening, they have more important things to do, like building weapons, putting down labor unrest. Time is money, damn it. And he's looking like he might be almost a minute late. And he left food for them, the founder. Just as they sit down to eat his food and bitch about his outrageous manners, George stumbles in the door, filthy and disheveled. Just the sort of thing you'd expect from someone who, who had the gall to invite you to dinner and then be a minute late. He tells them a tale, a tale that started with this very same group of men a week before. December 31st, 1899. George, an inventor, demonstrated to them what he claimed was a prototype time machine, which he launched into the future, never to be seen again. His friends, of course, completely dismissed the idea for two good reasons. One, it's absurd. And two, what's the point? You can't fight wars with it. Nobody will buy something like that. Angered that their friend would confide in them such an obvious BS story, they all leave for their New Year's plans. All but David Philby. He's worried about his friend. What is this obsession about time? George explains, I don't feel I belong in this time. There has to be a world where man isn't spending all his effort on making new ways to kill. George tells Philby he has a full-size version of the machine, and he plans to use it. Philby is even more worried now, but George tells him it'll be all right and arranges for dinner with the gang next Friday. After Philby leaves, so does George. But George leaves via the fourth dimension, traveling forward into the future with his machine. He arrives in 1917, where outside he encounters a new world and beats Philby, or at least he thinks he does. But it is Philby's adult son, James. He learns that Britain is at war with Germany, that Philby Sr. was killed in the war last year. He leaves and travels further forward. Explosions impede his progress, stopping him in 1940. And they are at war again. His house is destroyed as he travels further forward to 1966, where a strange sound causes him to stop. It is air raid sirens, and citizens are being evacuated to underground shelters. Once again, he encounters Philby Jr., now an old man who warns him to escape before the mushrooms bloom. He doesn't heed the advice, and the city is destroyed by atomic bombs around him. Then a volcano erupts, and he gets back in the time machine just in time, 
to be buried in the lava. Pushing forward in time, he must wait until the lava erodes. When it does, he arrives in a beautiful Eden-like garden in the year 802,701, just next to a giant sphinx and a sealed metal door. No one seems to be at home, so he takes the car keys and he explores. The world is lush, verdant, and bountiful, but seemingly devoid of people. He finds a large building in disrepair, perhaps for centuries. Inside it is empty, although the tables are set and there is fruit aplenty in the serving bowls. Exploring further, he finally finds signs of life, a herd of beautiful young people, known as the Eloi, frolicking near the water's edge. One has fallen in and is drowning, but the others pay no attention. The traveler rescues her. Her name is Weena, and she's about as grateful as a wet sheep and walks away from him <laughs> with the others. He follows them back to the building, where they all chow down. He tries asking many questions. But they're sheep. They have no curiosity, ambition, or concept of the past or future. The traveler cannot believe he can learn nothing from them, but they admit to having books and take him to them. They crumble to dust when he touches them. Angry at what the human race has become, he chastises them and leaves, returning to his time machine. But it is gone dragged into the sphinx and now sealed behind the metal doors. Weena arrives, having followed him, and warns him of the Morlocks. The Morlocks give them their food and clothes, and they follow their commands. The Morlocks come out at night and attack. The Traveler fends them with matches. The following day, the Traveler is still unable to get into the sphinx, so he explores, discovering a series of silos leading underground and the sound of machinery coming from them. As he sets out to explore one, sirens emanate from the Sphinx, and Weena and all the other Eloi walk, trance-like, into the Sphinx. The Traveler cannot stop her, and when he tries to get other Eloi to help, they say that no one ever returns. He climbs into the silo and deep underground, he discovers the world of the Morlocks and their terrifying secret. They eat the Eloi! Using a torch, he tries to rescue Weena and the Eloi. He is outnumbered and about to be killed when one Eloi, having witnessed the Traveler fighting with the Morlocks, makes a fist and clobbers one of the Morlocks. The Traveler starts a petroleum fire as the Eloi escape. The Morlocks' underground world is destroyed. Sometime later, the Sphinx burns, and he can reach his time machine. But this is a trap by the Morlocks. He starts the machine and returns to January 5th, 1900, where he stumbles in the door, filthy and disheveled, to greet his waiting guests. They aren't buying his story and they leave, but Philby returns and finds that he is left in his time machine, taking only three books with him. The End Okay, The Time Machine by H.G. Wells, originally, as many of the George Pell books seem to be. <laughs> Come to think of it, at least uh, two two of them happen to be. Um, what do you think about this film? Well, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um I can't remember when I read The Time Pell. Machine. It's a long time ago. I think like grade school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, probably about the same time as I saw the time machine on TV, and I remember being in a, a science fiction convention in the seventies, late seventies, and there was, I think they were playing trailers of of old movies, you know, whatever thirty five millimeter and sixteen millimeter mm -hmm. print that people could find, and I remember watching the uh, the trailer for that and thinking, wow, that's actually pretty cool. Uh, you know, but it looks like one of the old, old Frankenstein movies that I'd seen as a kid. 
because it's kind of set in that era and has that that odd uh, bright pastel look. <laughs> if you know that could be a thing, it definitely could be a thing. Yeah, no, I I like the movie quite a bit. I thought the uh, the time machine was great looking. Um, it, it's definitely you know hits all the cool Victorian hardware uh, uh, notes right there. And you know, as a kid, I thought the acting was was great because well, acting whatever. Uh, more time machine and more locks. Yeah, no, it's pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, upon seeing it again, I was thinking, yeah, it's definitely something by Wells because it's got that that uh, anti-war message in in there. It's that, all, it, uh, well, yeah, and it also has his anti-industrialist. Yeah, right. Message, yeah, exactly. Sort of, sort of. Well, I'll, we'll we'll get to that. But you know, it's been a very long time since I've read the book, and I know that it's not a direct. Adaptation, yeah, it's, it's not War of the Worlds isn't exactly right, but I my recollection is that this is this is a lot closer to both the theme and the the uh, the point of the Wells book, mm-hmm. right? He is the 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 key thing that he is going for is that as the the pampered rich, and I think that part is left out of this book in in or in this movie, the pampered rich are the people who are the ancestors of the Eloy. And the blue-collar workers, the factory workers laboring away in the in the dark factories are the ancestors of the Morlocks. And mm-hmm. it, it's not necessarily a result of some sort of devastating war where the oxygen of the planet's been ripped away or whatever. It, it is just the evolution of two groups of people who are living in let's put it in air quotes, two totally different worlds from one another. And uh, so, I mean, that, but, you know, they, I, as I recall, the Morlocks eat the Eloy and they, you know, they just live in this sort of happy-go-lucky life and the Morlocks take care of everything and then, then chow down, which, you know, all right, all right. I've, I've heard that offered as a solution to get rid of the one percenters and, (laughs) Not gonna. I mean, it's it's something. It, it's a it's an idea that's out there, just waiting for a revolutionary to to uh, put it into effect. Right, right. It makes a good bumper sticker. Eat the rich. Yes. Eat the rich. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But okay. I I don't know. I think this is the best of the George Powell films we've seen. Yeah. Okay. I think this is better than War of the Worlds. Hmm. Adam, I suppose. You know, there there is still yeah. that. There's that major, well, two things in the War of the Worlds that bug the heck out of me. One is, of course, the insertion of God instead of just little microbes. And the yeah. second is the the fact that we've got all those scientists who do absolutely nothing in yeah. the film. Yeah. So it's so, like blind luck, everybody dies. Or everybody yeah. does not die. Yep. You know, and we don't have that in the, uh, in the original, the book of war of the worlds because you know we're following this guy traveling across the country uh basically a refugee and he occasionally comes across a little vignette here and there like the the thunder child trying to battle hey, down yeah. the martians or, or the artillery trying to take out the martians so right in the book he's not a proactive character he is a refugee right right he's it's, it's more of a journalistic view of what's going and documentarian by making him the protagonist in the film you want him to do something 
and you want his team of people to do something, but they don't. And And so that I think undermines that film. It's got great special effects, it's got decent acting, casting and, and all that stuff. It's just structurally, it's kind of doesn't do anything in this film. At least we have a man who is searching for a better world. And when he finds yeah, it, purpose. Yeah. And when he finds it, he, you know, having is sometimes not as good as wanting. And, uh, and it, yes, yes. And it, it does carry across the allegories of the, of the anti-war and the, uh, anti-industrialist, <laughs> his industrialist friends at the beginning are real grade one a-holes. Yeah. Your friend invites you to dinner at eight o'clock. You show up at seven fifty nine. He's not there. Or he doesn't appear to be there, and they're all just like, "Well, that's the man." I mean, more <laughs> Disney schedules. Yes, we have other places to go tonight. Yeah, got it. It's it's you know we're supposed to be here, and man, <laughs> we we're supposed to be out beating people, you know, whipping whipping the underclass or something, counting our money. Yeah, I do think you know we do have to put this out there. It is funny. It's got nothing to do with it. But, you know, Alan Young, who plays Philby, uh-huh. was the voice of Scrooge McDuck yes. for many years. Uh-huh. Now, now I understand it's David Tennant. Oh, really? Yes, okay. in the new sure, DuckTales. But, you know, they hired somebody who's got a, got a bit of the accent. Uh-huh. Tennant can put on a fairly convincing Scottish accent when he tries. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, counting their money or swimming in it. And uh, taking, a, yes. taking a dive in the vault or whatever it is that those rich guys do. They are, I don't know, they're so awful as his group of friends. I mean, it's like they're forced to be there. I think Philby uh, guilt tripped them into showing up. <laughs> Maybe. Or they're actually so cheap that they just figure they're there for a free dinner. Free meal. And drinks. It's possible. It's booze, possible. Lots of booze. At least one of them is very interested in the booze. Yes, I noticed one of them did a hiccup on the way out. Yes, he uh, did. Very fake trip. Yeah, you know this. This always has that famous scene where he has the little miniature time machine, yep. and he pushes the button, <laughs> and forward it goes. He goes, "I've proved time travel." <laughs> no, well, you just made proved... something disappear. <laughs> you've, you've you've made a vaporization weapon. Yes, exactly. You totally disintegrate something it's like he, what he needed was something that would be like a little timer that would pull uh-huh. the lever back so that it would disappear for a while perhaps a trained mouse yeah something something uh-huh. like he could, have, he could have done it with a mechanical spring winding device so oh, yeah. push it forward very slow and have it just like take 30 seconds and then click back and you know <laughs> we'll just wait here for a few hours and it'll come back yeah exactly that would have been a little bit better experiment. I think I think before I stuck myself in a vaporization machine that I just yeah. I I I can't help but wonder if somewhere at the far end of time, because we'll go with the idea that there's an end of time, there's a pile of his prototypes sitting there. <laughs> Every planet in the universe that's invented time travel, they've got that each one of them launches something into the future. Yeah, exactly. You got two I mean, choices. You either launch it into the future, in which case it ends up in this in the pile at the, at the restaurant at the, the end of time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. At the end of the universe. Or 
you push it backwards and it goes so far backwards that it changes the entire development of your planet and you don't exist. So yeah, exactly. everyone who pulls the backward level instantly disappears and everyone who pushes the forward level level never gets anything out of it. Well, I would say that the ones who pulled the lever back, so they went back in time, were just replaced by another race that had to make the well, choice that's possible. pushing the, the button forward or pulling a lever backwards. It just keeps well, happening. Yeah, that same over spot, and different, over. different race. Either they yeah, push yeah. backwards and that's they have to start again, or they push forwards and then they go. Well, that didn't work. And eventually, uh, in some planet. There's a, some, some people who are just they wake up one morning. There's this big pile of of little time machine prototypes sitting in front of their hut or their cave or house or whatever they happen to live in. And it's like, what the hell are these? And they can't figure them out until they because they won't go forward anymore for some reason. And well, when at they the end of time, back, they just disappear, and then they disappear. And ah, that's right. Might be hard to shoot. Yeah, uh, high high concept though. Yeah, Definitely yeah, yeah, high concept. Yeah. Speaking of his, of his jerk friends, um, I do appreciate in the opening bit where he's showing them the prototype, right, Mister French? Yes. Um, <laughs> well, from Family Affair, he is playing Cabot, the doctor. Yeah. And he is the one that really wants to see in that box. Oh, yeah. Right? He's, sure. he's like always trying to get that box open. And what's in the box? And then look at the box. And whatnot. So I really You're appreciate the fact that the time traveler asks him to help open the box. Yes. And he positions it in such a way that he can't see what's in it. Yeah. He's the last guy in the group to know what's in yep. there. He's trying to peer over the top of the lid, which is obscuring his face. You know, he probably but, was hoping it was some expensive cigars he could smoke. Or a weapon. Probably a well, weapon. Yeah. It's probably yeah. open for a weapon. New type of explosive. So in that scene, obviously, we have to explain three dimensions and four dimensions for the audience watching mm -hmm. the film. Mm -hmm. But there is a line from from uh, the general uh, from the time tunnel, Whit Bissell. I don't know what character he's playing there, but but he's the he's the commander of the time tunnel project. Mm. Um, he, um, I don't think I've seen that. TV series. Um, yeah, I, I might have seen one or two episodes yeah. about it. But yeah, continue. You're probably distracted by Lee Merriweather, who is his assistant. So, you know, that's, yeah, that would do it. They're kind of dismissive of the concept of the fourth dimension. But when he talks about going to the future, he says, he says something to the effect of, well, the future is, it already is. It already is what the future is. It's right. Oh, He's talking about a determination. Yeah. He's saying, well, that's just the way the, fu the future is already there and it's it's fixed. And it's like, why would you why would you come to that concept? If if no one if no one had ever talked to you about time travel, right? You, no one had ever mentioned the idea of time travel. It's a completely novel concept. You've never watched Doctor Who that, you know, you're living 100 years ago and somebody brings the idea of time travel to you. I could see how if they said, well, I'm, I'm going to go back in time and I'm going to. Uh, kill one of the great evil men of history. Like oh, I'm going to go back and I'm going to kill, I'm going to kill Adolf Hitler when he was a baby. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go back and kill Pol Pot when he was a baby. I'm going to go back and kill Henry Kissinger when he was a baby or something. <laughs> I could see how they might go. Well, but you can't because that already happened and it's a paradox. You know, you might right, yeah. You might come to the idea of the paradox, or alternatively, you might think, yeah, what would happen? Or you know, maybe it isn't impossible in the moment. Why would you automatically jump to the conclusion that the future is fixed? That's a Christian part of the Christian theology. 
saying that uh, the supreme being has laid it all out, you know, God's master plan. And you think that's what it is? I mean, I, oh, yeah, I, don't I know. know it is. I know it is. Yeah. One of the things of predestination, which to me but I, always I sounded to, stupid, but I thought that the whole thing with the apple uh, is basically man's getting free will. Oh, you're throwing logic into there. Oh, yeah. I, I don't am. Don't read the previous chapters, just read the rest of them. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he didn't, he didn't kind of, it's just odd that he just like, no, it's just that the future is, is a done thing. It was like, okay, if it's a done thing, then it doesn't matter if I go to the future either. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's, I don't understand why they would think that, but it's part of Christian theology. You got me there. Mm. You know, I mean, there's, there are, as always, whenever there's a time travel story, there are, you know, what is, what if the one that always kind of gets me is, is there a difference between the past and the future? Right. It, so the past is done. So if you go back into it, you're either breaking it or you're unable to break it. But if you don't, and, and when we did uh, Crime Traveler, for example, TV series, one of the quote unquote rules of that show was that you cannot travel to the future because the future doesn't exist yet. It's it right. is it is just quite literally does not exist. So there is no traveling to somewhere that hasn't been built yet. Okay. I mean that's one way to avoid getting to go into the future. But when it comes to the future future, so let's say you can't change the past. Right? No matter what you do, you go back, it's it's inexorable. You can't change the past. All right. If you went a hundred years in the future, uh-huh, and you saw what the world was like. And let's say it's ruled by an evil dictator or something. Or apes. And so then, or apes, yes. hundred years. They move quick. Got to watch them. It's those bananas. Is it? Brain food, the potassium. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you go to hundred years and you say, oh, the world's a bad place because of this guy. And so you go back 50 years, but now yep. 50 years still in your future. So it hasn't happened. Is that past, future <laughs> past, inexorable also? I, um, the easiest way to explain it, and I think this is the reason why the, the, the theological predetermination or predestination is there, is that it explains what's really complicated in an easy way for most folks to digest. It's like, oh, it's just going to happen that way. Um, so you could you would say that, yes, it was all, all predetermined that you were going to go in the future, then go into the past. And then worry is the future's past, not your past. Exactly. But you could also look at it from the the aspect of what frame of reference are you using? Are you using the time traveler's reference? Are you using an observer in his past or somebody that he met in the future? And uh, then it goes off the rails there, if you wish. Yeah. The same questions. It's like, is my future uh, set in stone, et cetera, et cetera? What future am I in? Yeah, I think the uh, the the folks who ponder this so they can write books about it probably have a much better grasp of because it gets confused confusing with all the uh, timey wimey wibbly wobbly stuff. Nonetheless, mm-hmm. if somebody came to you and said, "I've made a time machine," first off, no, you made a clock. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you probably turn around the leaves, and I'm going to go to somebody who's not such an idiot. 
So they try to pitch the idea that they have really genuinely made a time machine. They show you the thing that disappears, mm-hmm. whether it goes into the future or not. Right. Put yourself in the situation of these men. Are you so stupid, never mind, yeah, as to not think there's any weapons potential? Who would buy oh. such a thing? There's no market for that. I'm like, do you not buy stocks? Well, yeah, exactly. Do, exactly. do you not bet on the future. horses? Exactly. But lottery. Yes. Yeah. Betting on the outcome of an expedition. Yeah, exactly. Will there be gold in that hill? <laughs> no practical commercial value whatsoever. That That is one of the things that does bother me about this film, is, is that that. Right there. It's like, come on, guys. Well, the I'll, greatest I'll... weapon ever made. Maybe. Maybe. Well, yeah. I mean, if you can't change the past, maybe not. But it could be. It, it's worth a few quatlos. It could be, yeah. Uh, also, you, you know, these people have never thought of a time machine. So maybe it just hadn't quite dawned on them that it could be used as a weapon. You know, they just have to give it a bit of a think. They're very practical men. You know, they deal in money and commodities and whatnot. And if it's, you know, not obvious, they probably don't quite right. understand it right off the bat. I do think it's funny they managed that in this timeline, we managed to make time machines before cars. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Next on the list is jetpack before airplanes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, odd odd piece of business. And I guess that's what you'd call it. It's it's business. When the traveler goes into his time machine after and then? they've left and he's going to go the first trip. <laughs> yes. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. He takes the, takes the knob off of the machine. Uh-huh. And he looks at it and he goes, and then he goes over and he grinds down the screw end of it that screws into the... Yeah. Which it was already screwed into. So why he, did he I, do that? It's just show he's like fine-tuning his machine or something, but it's a terrible yeah. bit of... And I never really understood why he did that either until I watched a bit of a documentary Uh and it turns out that the key is literally the key. It's also the the power supply. Yeah. It well, is yeah. Crystal that that runs the whole thing. So I would guess that what he's doing is he is dressing the contact to remove some oxidation on it so he gets a better connection to it. You know, okay. if it's, it's going to tarnish a little bit. So he I just did think of that. Up. I did think of that, is except it? that it's screwed into the machine. He can't see that the contact is. No, it's just, you know, it's just why not? What he should have been doing is he should have taken it out and polished his knob. Right. That probably would have made more sense. Possibly. But but it's it's a bit of it's it's uh, it's just showing him tinkering with the machine. Yeah. Tinkering. Kind of like was that thing to be tinkered with? Yeah. An odd. um, Yeah. Now, one of the things that by making this film in 1960 instead of, I want to say 1894 is when this time machine was written. Um, I think it's 1894. Well, 1895. So yeah. Oh, well. Not... It was Fair probably enough. written in 1894, but he pushed it forward with his little machine. It could be, he yeah. Publish it to yeah. So he had, they have the advantage, <laughs> the advantage of knowing about World War One and World War Two. Yes. For the filmmakers, it's like, wow, you know, this is really, uh, really prescient. Oh, wait, no, it's not. It's, 
<laughs> yeah, you know, okay, we got the World War One, we got the World War Two sequence, fine. Um, they they get the job done. They show that he's going forward. They show his disillusionment with mankind and the fact that the further forward he goes, the worse things get. Then we get to 1966, so that's the future. Yes. And I guess in 1960, we were six years away from nuclear Armageddon. Mm-hmm. That's about right. So um, they blow up the world. Luckily, it was a low radiation atomic bomb because <laughs> our boy just... Uh, all I can think that is that uh, when the time the time machine is engaged, he's in some impenetrable bubble of force that only lets in light and... Uh, apparently heat. Yeah, and, but the bombs uh, went off before he got back to the time machine. Oh, he the probably city, got a bit of a dose, but... Remember, the, the, the buildings are blowing up and everything, and then then afterwards, the volcano erupts, and the lava is pouring down the streets, it, and it, only then does he get in the time machine. Now, I, mean, I can forgive him. He doesn't know about radiation, but... Well, it could also be that maybe they're the... Uh, the, the the atomic satellites act on some other sort of mechanism. Having the the volcanoes erupt it reminds me of. I wish I could remember the H.G. Wells store story where he has atomic weapons going off in cities, and in his view of atomic energy, it wasn't a, a brief, brilliant release of energy, but a slow, decade-long release of energy that basically turns the heart of a city that was bombed into a, a permanent firestorm where it just it burns and liquefies everything and it just causes this massive conflagration that burns everything out and you know establishes a little weather patterns I'm sure and whatnot and it just you know is a permanent volcano sitting there in the middle of what used to be a city I thought that was shape of things to come the book version uh it might have been at Boy, I he I destroyed the world enough times, you know. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I remember I used to have a, a very large book of H.G. Wells novels and stories, and that was one of the ones that was in it. I don't remember the the name of it. Darn it! I, I probably oh, wow. I have that book here. Probably I, and, have, I have the collected work, the collected sci-fi works of H.G. Wells. Uh, it's the world set free. 1940 novel. Okay. 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 All right. I wonder why the volcano, though. Oh, because it's, um, oh. He needed an excuse for the, the lava? Maybe. To bury him in the there? lava was quite disgusting when they were using it on set. It was oatmeal and had let- That's pretty uh, common, yeah. Been let to sit for a weekend or so and was fermenting. Mm, I bet that smelled lovely. I yeah. why they need to let it ferment. I think it was they mixed it up on Friday and shooting started on Monday. They just didn't think. Bell, everyone leave. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> by Monday it was beer. Um, and, uh, they probably Hawk. yeah they probably ate it afterwards and got a, a good buzz. Yeah. You. So it <laughs> goes into the future, long long way into the future. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I. Not only is he described this as he's watching at the time machine, he says this is a world with no winter. Now, I, I can kind of see how he might catch that because when he was in his time, right, he could see the snow in the summer and the spring and the fall, right? But when he gets into this, once the mountains start to fall, 
there is none of that. It does right. appear to be relatively stable. So, okay, this is a world with no winter. Later, and, he's walking along through the, the jungle. Let's call it the jungle. And yeah. he's like, in a world made perfect, there are no weeds. There are no briars. And I'm like, if you're out in the jungle or forest or whatever, do you really notice weeds? Aren't they just plants? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, I, I'm i not walking through the jungle and looking at, oh, look, there's a dandelion. Let's pull that sucker. I mean, just... uh, yeah, exactly. When I'm, when I'm out hiking and whatnot, I don't think, oh, look at all the weeds. Oh, the, I get briars. Pine tree brambles or something with thorns or you know that that impede your progress but none of that so it's all it's all good there's fruit everywhere and it's it? it's all nice right but as soon as he gets to the broken down building there are weeds yeah in the steps yeah right it's like you want to you want to re uh you know you're narrating this story to your friends did you really need to say that there are no weeds when you know, 10 minutes later, you find out hey, there are. <laughs> it says, yeah. And what is with all that dramatic music when he is walking through the, the oh, jungle? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It's so like, this, we're building to something. We're building to something. We're building to something. We're, 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 it's, oh my I'm, God, the tension is too much. He's like, yeah, I just think maybe I'm all alone here. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Uh, the Audio is kind of sketchy in a couple of places too. Way too much reverb when they're in the Morlock City. Um, that was just kind of annoying. Uh, for a moment there, I thought I was having audio playback problems. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I'm thinking the composers looking at this scene going, "God, this is boring. We need to spice it." <laughs> they up. left. They let that. The director let that one go on a little too long. Oh wait, the director is the producer. I can't tell him. Let's. <laughs> Let's make it exciting, man. All right. Mm -hmm. He's also, when he goes into the building and he's playing with the plate, you know, clink. Oh, it makes, it echoes. Oh, <laughs> echo. Oh, okay. Echo. And he's looking around. What is he thinking? The building's in disrepair. There's nobody there, but all of the table places are set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the bowls are filled with not rotten fruit. Right. But he acts like it's in a, a an abandoned building. It it isn't. It yeah, clearly obviously, isn't. Yeah, obviously the owners of the occupants are gonna be back soon. You know, they had a stepped out to get uh, um, I don't know what, but yeah, they're gonna be a back roast pig you know, it, perhaps, to go yeah. with the fruit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's it it's all again. It's like the script and the uh, maybe the set design didn't uh, didn't really work hand in glove. Yeah, you know it would have been much it would have been much better if the bowls had been empty, the fruit bowls had been completely empty. But when he follows them back and they arrive, the bowls are full because the Morlocks <laughs> filled them up while they were right while they were yeah. gone. It's like ooh, something. something's happened here. Yeah, that, that, but. Because they didn't, um, it's just weird. His his response is just weird. I would be definitely. Uh, there are definitely people here because and that, this is this is not, unless it's Japan, and those are all wooden fruits to show you how juicy the fruits look. Well, uh, yeah, but, could be. Yeah, but he didn't test them. He did not reach. He touched a plate, but he does not reach out to touch the fruit. Well, I would think if that were the case, it'd be dust and everything. Yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah. 
there'd be dust everywhere. So I don't know. Um, another flaw, and, and I'm not trying to pick on the flaws, but it's, it's these little weird things in it. When he asks them where all the food comes from, ah, they're all just like, mm-hmm. it yeah. just shows give up. Us a, give us a little fruit. No, he didn't even say that. He just, mm-hmm. he just, well, I mean, yeah, they, they have no, he, he said that before, yeah, before that there's no curiosity in them. They're, yeah. Ugh. They don't know where the fruit comes from. Okay. Fine. And then you, you don't know where the fruit comes from. I, I wondering in my mind, if they are even literally capable of walking to one of the thousands of trees with fruit all over it and pulling one off the tree. Cause he did later on and things say, we're going to have to learn how to, we're going to have to learn how to survive. I'm like, or you could learn <laughs> to pick fruit. I mean, dude, there's a lot of fruit. Um, mm-hmm. Few of them are going to die when they pick the wrong fruit, but really they don't care. So, but later, Weena says the Morlocks give us the food and mm. clothes. Right? It's like, well, then you guys know where it came from. Well, well, why would you shrug? Mm-hmm. I, I think that yeah, the the, the people that the other people, the the non Weena Eloy. Okay. They know these things, but they just can't really be bothered or don't want to be bothered to answer because it's too much out of their, their box. They really don't want to change, you know, leave Maybe. their lane as cattle or they, they don't realize that. But wasn't yeah. she the one that shrugged when they asked where the food came from? Uh, nope. I'd have to rewatch it, but yeah. And then, and then anyway, I do appreciate his line when he's trying to figure out how the heck these guys function and he's saying so you're saying your economy is so well developed that you can spend all your time studying and experimenting yeah Yeah. (laughs) shrug you know exactly yeah yep i think they should have given him woolly hair instead of beautiful gold they should have given like sheep sheep bowl haircuts there yeah that might have been a little bit too uh on the nose yeah too too hammered in there uh, but yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, so he gets, he gets nope. mad when he finds out their books are all crumbling. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna go back, and I'm gonna tell him not to bother, because at least I'll die among men. Right. All right. We'll all just cut. I'll cut to the end here. What is it that he does in the future? In 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 total, what 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 did he actually accomplish? Well, uh. He might have killed all the Morlocks in Eloy by destroying the Morlocks' factories. He waged uh, war on them. Yes, he waged war on them. The man who's running away from the world. Yes. like, I'm sick of the world because we all have to, everybody has to fight and all this stuff and I want a better world. And he goes to the future and the thing he brings Uh, to make it better. For a good reason. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the Morlocks are less human because they eat Eloy. Really? I'm not sure I agree with that. I mean, it's not something that I would be, you know, standing in line and saying, yeah, sign me up. But, you know, they maintain machines. They obviously have more intelligence than the Eloy. Yeah. That's a you scare the heck out of them with fire yeah uh 
they don't seem to have any language. They dress in um, just yeah. um, fur loincloths. Their their architectural style is is uh, is cavern. Yeah, and yet uh, they make all those lovely clothes. Right, they make the clothes. They they provide food for the Eloy, and uh, you know somebody asked to uh, play the uh, the siren, maintain the siren. Right, yeah, you know, I I suppose that it it might have come to pass that mankind had uh, invented a way to create machines that could, you know, sputter along doing what they're doing for tens of thousands of years. And uh, simply, none of the equipment's broken down, but humanity has devolved into two separate sects. And that the Morlocks don't actually know how the machine works. They just know that they have to provide food and, and water and and clothing and probably medical attention. I don't know. Uh, yeah, just to eat some them. Some sort of uh, husbandry to the the their food stock that lives above them. Um, so they've equally devolved as much as the Eloy have. It's as good an explanation as any. Yeah. But yeah. nonetheless, he doesn't he doesn't take the time to determine that. No. Yeah, I, I think it'd be difficult for him to like sit down with a Morlock and ask them, you know, what's your drive and motivation? Why do you get up in the morning? Uh, how do you maintain these machines? Yeah. I it, it, Yeah. It's all kind of I, you know, again, it's it's a metaphor for the haves and the have-nots, and yeah. the and making the have-nots be the people who are actually competent to do stuff, and the haves just being wastes wastes of flesh. Exactly. That you know, you know be- I mean, he's spot on, Mister Wells. Spot freaking on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can see that the the people who don't seem to produce anything because they're rich. Well, they got rich either by inheriting the money or they did something that made them phenomenally wealthy. And that usually does employ other people in some way, shape, or form. I, I yeah. I mean it's just I just I think it's I you know, this is this is nineteen sixties coming forward. Because I'm pretty sure I mean, yes, I'm sure that the time traveler did have to fight uh in the in the novel, but I don't think that it's quite as painful as this whole I just don't think I should be here because mankind shouldn't be fighting and then oh mankind needs to fight yeah this, yeah this is kind of Captain Kirk you know it's like in <laughs> uh in the apple and it's like oh uh you guys live in paradise let's blow that up you're gonna right, love we... it it's called freedom have that yeah exactly you'll like it and, are you uh, one with the body oh not for long <laughs> That one too. That one yeah. too. I was thinking of Vol, but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Vol is all. Yes, it's all. Vol makes the sunshine and the trees fruit. I mean, <laughs> and I love how he's getting those delusions of grandeur at one point. He says, "What you just need is somebody to reawaken the spirit of self-sacrifice." <laughs> so basically, you're trying to uh, recruit an army to your way of okay, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Self-sacrifice could be considered. I mean, there is, I'm willing to jump in the water to save your life, right? That's, that's the, the nine end of it. But then there's the, I'm willing to lay down my life 
to for protect your my home for your yeah for your country for your home for your people for your right for, uh, for you know so put me in a uniform and let's go um mm-hmm. yeah it's, it is. in the film not consistent department weena has never seen fire before right mm-hmm. later in the movie he's trying to light his torch and he says to weena give me something that will burn yeah exactly and she she can Yes, and she does. She's like, rips some clothes off. I, I think clothes burn. I've never seen fire before, and, and I don't know what the word burn means, but yes. here you go. Try this. <laughs> Another thing that I noticed in the, in the film, the narration and what we see don't quite match. So our time traveler goes in, and he spins two rings. There's like 20 yes. rings around that thing. He spins two rings, and... And he basically wanders off and leaves. And I learned all I needed to know about that. He's good about the Eloy and whatnot. But the narration makes it sound like he listened to all of the rings. Right. Because yeah. that's what I do. Oh, heck yeah. Like every freaking ring. I don't care how boring it is. I don't care if this is, you know, like an old soap opera that was left I... over from the BBC, the, the Archers or whatever. I, you know, just... I'm going to play them all. Right. So that I can, but it doesn't appear that that's what he does. He appears to get disgruntled after the, the one where they talk about some of us went underground and some of us tried to stay on the, on the surface. And there you go. It, it just, just odd, just odd. Uh, Morlocks eat fully articulated Eloy. Yeah. I'm not quite sure how they do that, but uh, I guess they, they have a trick. Maybe it's in the seasoning. I don't know. <laughs> and and you know, some of them eat in bowls. Because it's it is a it is a room with bowls and they've got like bones left in the bowls. And it's just like, okay, you're you're eating which would you have a pile where you'd throw the bones in when you're done? Because clearly you know you can't eat the bones. Mm-hmm. Because I think they well, yeah, it's more a uh, visual storytelling. They just wanted to yes. really oh, yeah. make sure that you knew that they were human remains, not just a pile of bones. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's... Mm-hmm. No. I mean, today, they wouldn't be bones. They'd be like half-eaten corpses and stuff. It oh, yeah, and the flies like, oh, buzzing they... around. And stuff. Yeah. Well, that would... And if it was like that, then you would definitely know that they were more savage, right? We don't know. Maybe and they it... cook them in a... They could have a spit and they're they're cooking somebody or but if they right. just had like yeah. half eaten bodies lying around, you'd know, oh yeah, they're just animals. Mm-hmm. Right. I mentioned Captain Kirk destroying paradise, but I should I should say there is the scene where the Eloy is watching the traveler fight the Morlocks, and he's he's trying, trying so hard to make a singular fist. And he's just like, I don't know. I don't know how to move my hand to make a fist. <laughs> that's that's just such a weird feeling. Okay, I think I got this. And then he immediately goes and does a double double fisted Kirk hammer on the back of that Morlock's back. And I thought, wow, <laughs> you graduated right up to uh now we just need to get you as the ear pop and we have got. Uh, well, maybe there's that flying sort of low leg kick that he does. Kind of knees down yeah. back. But apart from that. I'm glad to see some things translate into the far, far future. <laughs> There's also that whole sequence where, after that, where 
Lena's yeah. is like, how do the girls wear the hair in your oh that was time painful. and can I do it? It's like, do you even know about hairdos? Who do the Morlocks do your hair? How I, I does that happen? Who cuts your hair? Come to think of it, yeah, who styles it? Yeah, exactly. All I who can does think your makeup. Of, all I can think of is that the Morlocks when they had more of a uh, grip on obvious intelligence that they actually did breed the the Eloy to possibly have some um, built-in hair, hair or, or interest or something like that. Just or Maybe some... their hair just doesn't grow any longer than that anymore. Yeah, yeah, it could be. I mean, I, um, I think in the or, original or... novel, the Eloy are not actually human. <laughs> in other words, they are, the traveler sees them and they are physically distinct. They're not so dissimilar as to not be recognizable as as people but they are different just yeah. like the morlocks are physically different they've they have genetically changed they're not just well basically thals from uh scaro yeah in fact i think those are thal wigs that they're pretty uh, much they all wearing be, yeah okay so we don't know but i, I that that scene is painful and see is, yeah is painful do you have anything else specifically about the movie do you want to hit? I quite enjoyed the look of it. Prop was awesome. Yeah, good time travel story. It's one of the first, if I remember right. Uh, yeah, that's about it. Okay. So, they ask us a question <laughs> at the end. What three books would you take to start a new civilization? Yeah. I have two answers to that, so uh, <laughs> I, I've come up with my answers. But uh, what... Uh... Uh, I would bring... Uh, well... Not knowing what uh, the contents of the rings or how many rings there are in total, it's kind of difficult. But a, a book on, I wouldn't say primitive, but a comprehensive book on medicine, a book on practical agriculture, and perhaps a book on philosophy uh, to help mm. guide the, the children that he all of a sudden has lots of. <laughs> a book on philosophy thank you yeah yeah i think we all know what book we're supposed to think one of those three was huh. and, yeah. perhaps and i'm not going to go there no no but i th i think just like in uh when worlds collide that uh we were given a prominent book placement and i think that's probably what one of the book of philosopher if you will yeah <laughs> I really struggle with this and 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 I would argue that the time traveler is an idiot. And the reason I would argue that he's an idiot is that he's got a time machine. Mm -hmm. He did not need to get back in the time machine and fly off with just three books in his hand. No. He could have, oh, I don't know, waited, taken a bath, had a nice meal, you know. Next morning, maybe he got a haircut, gone to the library, picked out three books that he's never going to return, or yeah. 50 books, or as many books as he's shoving that time machine, or or he could build a bigger time machine, and, or he could make he could make more than one trip yeah, I think in his time more machine. More than one trip would be a good idea, and possibly he going could into do, other parts of history. He could do, well, you know, he could go to, he knows what day he's going to, so he goes to Thursday the 5th. And he comes back to Saturday the 6th in 1900. And then he goes back to 
Friday the seventh in eight oh seven eight oh two seven one or whatever year. You know, he could he could make trips back and forth to the present and the back, and people would know. And he could take a whole bunch of stuff like uh, you know tools, equipment, uh, food, supplies, tents, whatever. But given the premise that says you got you get to hop in the time machine to take three books, I I question if there are no winters and fruit grow plentifully. To this is a book on agriculture, top of the list. I don't know. I mean, I think it would be important, but at the same time, I'm, it's I'm going not... on the premise that the reason that there are so many fruiting trees, uh, constantly fruiting, is that the Morlocks had something to do with it. And without could them, be. In the equation, they're not going to have any food at all. That's why I said without earlier, us knowing that, them. right? It's just yeah, an but... assumption. And of course, he could, of course, just go back in time after he, he's been there six months. He could go back in time and go, oh, I actually needed a couple other things. Oh, you yeah. Know, as, long yeah as, he, he, as long as he keeps coming back in the first few days, and mm -hmm. nobody needs to know, except that he's getting old and whatnot. But right, exactly. Exactly. Because um, he can't run around without his turn. But anyway, the other one, I, and sit in a similar vein. I, my thought would be my my three things that I would think about would be a book on survival, like a military guide on Denver. how to do all the things you need to do: kill a bear, build a lean-to, and mm -hmm. uh, all that stuff. Make a latrine. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know the important stuff: how not yeah. to poo in your own water supply, that kind of stuff. That, yeah, exactly. And uh, so that would be one. But you know they they've been living out in this. There's no bad weather. It's pleasant will he need to make tents and lean to's i don't know but that would be my thought a book on agriculture for the same reasons you would say and then again assuming that they would need to build something you know where do you go because do i want to learn how to build skyscrapers which you wouldn't be able to do in 1900 but uh so i'm thinking woodworking a book on woodworking the practical ability to work shape bind build structure wood well yeah not how to make cement or general yeah. engineering right the book on practical a... agriculture would probably have some of that in there uh simply you know uh it, it would at least give you some ideas on how tools were made and whatnot uh but yeah an actual book on uh you know joinery or you know how to fell a tree and dress it so you can have lumber yeah uh, how to make an axe or a saw, stuff like that. Yeah. So, I mean, he needs, except that he's got a time machine and he can go back. Right. And go pick up a, a saw from wherever. Yeah. Yeah. He exactly. can just keep doing that and he would be fine. But uh, he could be living a double life. Mm -hmm. But I don't have, I have, probably have a book on woodworking. And I actually probably have the military survival guide on my shelf somewhere. I do not have any books on practical ad, uh, agriculture. And I don't think our friend would either because he's uh, an engineer for time travel. So that's probably not the books he's got. So I also yeah. had the answer to the question of what books would you take if I had to use my bookshelf? Oh, <laughs> yeah. And and the answers would be um, Alton Brown's Good Eats, Volume 1. Oh, that's right. the early years. That one's got the, the chocolate chip cookie recipes in it. Yeah, I've got uh, that. Alan Dean Foster's Star Trek Log 6. And uh, Tobin's <laughs> Spirit Guide. Tobin's Spirit Guide. Yeah. Sure, why not? Yeah. 
you got to be able to identify all the spirits and and things that you might find in the right. future. And Upper considering eyes. that you're 800,000 years in the future, there are a lot more dead people. Good point. Good point. Yeah, exactly. Ectoplasm exactly. might be real. <laughs> Certainly was in 1900. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, I, uh, I also looked online because apparently that's a fairly common question that people yeah. are post out there and say, oh, what three books are you? Probably because of this film. And you know, some of them are hilarious. Uh, I particularly like the guy who took the three-volume set, The Complete Far Side, because <laughs> that does tell you everything you need to know about human. A good point, yes. Uh, one guy, I, the, the ones that crack me up are the people that take the dumbest, and I'm sorry, they're not, they're not dumb books, but, but they are, right? Like this guy wants to take the ingenious gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha and the complete works of Shakespeare and Roger's classic American thesaurus. Yeah, you're well, dead. Yeah, those sounds like sound like books that you will always have and you've never read. <laughs> Dr. Quixote's pretty good. Um, but, you know, it's like, no, I, I think if you're trying to rebuild civilization, I don't, I think maybe A is for Apple, C is for Cat might be more online with the kind of books you might be could be but they can speak Jane so reader be able to so... figure out how to teach them how to read and what would they read just those three books no where yeah where... they are they've got a lot of other books but they have to breathe them uh one guy i thought was pretty good he picked a book on a, the handbook of british archaeology which he says basically covers tool making from the paleolithic onward no good book to have handy yeah. good book to yes. hand. Uh, there's the Forgotten Arts and Crafts book, which covers how to do all the main things prior to the Industrial yeah. Revolution, and Collins' the... Nature Guides to Herbs and Healing, healing Plants. Yeah. Yeah, except yeah. all the plants are different, so. Yeah. But, you know, this wasn't postulating a future or another world. Yeah, I, suppose, uh, I, I would bring all the, uh, like, if you can condense all the Foxfire books into one book, that would be useful. That would teach you everything we need. Here's the worst three I think I've seen. Okay. And, and it's not necessarily that all of these are bad books. Only one of these is a bad book. But they're the dumbest books you could possibly take. Uh, the Decal Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, <laughs> Brave New World, and Atlas Shrugged. And I can only assume he's taking Atlas Shrugged so he can use it for and toilet blank. paper. Yeah, something to blight fires with. That's what it's good for. Uh, and it that probably is very rough paper because I'm sure Ayn Rand had it printed on the worst possible, coarsest, splinter-laden paper the, she could. The, the cheapest pulp she could find. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, really? I, you know something? Let's stop this person from ever starting a civilization. Yeah, it's kind of the wrong message. It is. It is definitely the wrong message you're going. Uh, one guy did say he went for four books, and it's the old four-volume set, How <laughs> Things Work by Roger Jean Sagalet, uh, which I've looked up will go for like 200 bucks. <laughs> and it's like a wonderful, as this guy says, compendium of clear descriptions of a wide range of devices, industrial processes, physics, medical principles, and farming. Oh, perfect. Yes. I take that. Yeah. That one seems like a good one because, yeah, 
think I do have a copy of uh, was it 500 or 405 mechanical movements, which is is quite quite good if you're trying to figure out how something should move or is moving, and you're wondering why. Well, and you know, our, and our, our boy is a uh, he is yeah, some for, sort of an inventor, so he's got he would have some that of the knowledge. knowledge. Yeah, yeah. So, but you know, does he know how to grow plants or make a latrine? I don't know. Or weave cloth, or weave cloth. Here's a good one. Um, can he, can they go down and dig the machinery out of the Morlock? Right, and figure out how it's run. You know what runs. Are it. there are there more Morlocks fifty miles away? Yeah, exactly. That could be something they has to worry about. Who knows? There are Eloy farms all over the planet. Right. Exactly. I don't have anything else, but I'm not going anywhere without my chocolate chip cookies and Tobin spirit guide. Huh, sure. I really did spend a lot of time looking up and down my bookshelf, so much so that I found books I didn't even know I owned. Yeah. I do have to say, you know, I have several hundred, if not a thousand books here. Oh, wow. I used so, to have close to that once, but I've moved enough times where I've gotten I know, a it's, lot of it's books. a royal pain. It's a royal yeah. pain. Every time I buy a book and I go, oh, I love books. And I'm like, God, oh, someday man. I'm going to move overseas. And this is, yeah. and I'm going to have to give away my copy of Shackleton's Boat Journey. <laughs> That's one of the books I found today. I did not know I owned. Yeah. Folks, um, don't tell me how it ends. <laughs> Am I re- I'm Warm sure Shackleton it did, did well. Um, yes. <laughs> all right. Um I think that's it. I think it's it for yeah. George Powell. I think it's it for Time Machine. Uh, it, it really, I it really is a good film for all the the nitpicking on it. It's like it is a nineteen sixty film, and some of the standards of logic aren't necessarily there. Uh, like, why were there no baby Eloy running around? Yeah, exactly. I know there were no old ones because they got eaten. Although that's not how they harvest them, right? They harvest them by yeah. doing the air raid siren. Yeah, they just let a bunch of men and then they close the it. door. You'd think the healthier young ones would walk faster. Yeah, true, true. Well, the Eloy's not quite sure what happens. They just know that people go into the building and they never come out. So Right. No, no, no. I'm not it's not a question of of understanding their fate. It's just a question of why aren't there any old system, ones? Or yeah, ones. that system yeah. would not weed out the old folk. So, you know, the only way that would happen is if the Morlocks went in and actually did a selective culling. Right. I think that's just a, a case of uh, we think too much and people who make movies these days think too much because they know people are going to think too much about their movies. They want to make sure that they're uh, they're happy <laughs> and they explain everything. And they don't have discussions like this in 40 years about their film. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I wish you hadn't said that. 63 years. Yeah. (laughs) All right. John, thank you for joining me. No, no, you're welcome. Listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash Fusion Patrol or patreon.com slash Fusion Patrol. For our monthly Patreon subscribers, we're currently running a special series on Babylon 5. Come join the conversation in the comments section of this episode at FusionPatrol.com. You'll also find there over a decade of past episodes. 
You can find some of our other works at soundcloud.com slash fusion patrol. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. Next time on Fusion Patrol, we look at the space above and beyond episode Raybutts, and we ask an important question. How many people is it acceptable to kill to bury the already dead? Join the conversation on Fusion Patrol. <laughs>